Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Behind the Seams, episode one, brought to you by Just Baseball Media. As always, I am Jared Perkins. I'm here with Dr. Caleb Mezzi. Uh, Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. We good. are very, very excited to get launched here with Just Baseball, bringing you the first episode with an incredible interview. Um, but for the new listeners, just to give you a little bit of background on who we are, uh, we started with Beyond, a podcast called Beyond Baseball with Prospects Live started really focusing on the human side of the game, um, looking at who these players are beyond the box scores and the performances on the field. And so we got launched and had some incredible interviews with guys like Vinny Pasquantino, Tyson Ross, Ben Kudrina, all these top prospects and active major leaguers. Um, and really trying to give you a different view and different angle um, of who the players are off the field. So we're hoping to bring some of the same stories to you here at Just Baseball. Uh, Caleb, are you excited for this transition too? Yeah, I think the transition is, is you know, it's like us going up to the big leagues. And I think that <laughs> the really cool thing here is that, like you were saying, we get to bring those names um, and really show the human side of who these people are. Many of us either watch or watched these players, you know, during their careers. And, you know, some of this predates social media. Like when we talked to Brian Catalanato, like he didn't play in that era. So we never really got to understand who he was as a human what his interests were off the field and like what he wanted to do either when he was playing. Um, and then also when he was, you know, going into retirement. So I think, you know, pulling back um, that curtain and just understanding who these people are getting to know them a little better in the time that we have um, them on the podcast, I think is, is what we'll continue to do. And I think, you know, with just baseball behind us, I think we will have the support and get even better names and, you know, more importantly, great stories out there. Yeah, and I think that's the beautiful thing about this game. It's a it's a team made up of different individuals, and we're hoping to kind of shine a light on the uniqueness of each of those individuals. Um, but the one thing we want to do, too, as we kind of start um, our transition to Just Baseball is to bring you some segments. So we want to have more of an introduction uh, that leads up to the interview, and uh, we're going to kind of kick it off with our first segment here called Beyond the, the Box Score. We're going to bring you some kind of human side story of the week. So the one I want to really touch on is Jacob Dr- DeGrom getting Tommy John surgery. You see a lot on Twitter kind of Mets fans being like, aha, this is why we didn't want to keep him. Send him to Texas. He signs a big contract. Ranger fans are disappointed, of course, because he's now going in to get Tommy John and a miss maybe close to two years. Um, but you could see when Jacob DeGrom was interviewed um, after the announcement was made, the emotion 
that he had during that interview. And I think that's something that kind of gets lost during um, these these injuries that happen to players is that we kind of forget about the human beings um, behind what's happening on the field. Um, the emotional toll that the injury recovery process is going to take on DeGrom, like that's a guy who wants to be out on the mound pitching every day. He did everything he could to power through past injuries to be out on the mound for the Mets as well. So I think that's just like a human side story that's good to reflect on to remember that um, like he probably doesn't want to be doing this surgery either. So it's not like he's like, oh, I'm cashing my check and I'm going to go sit and get my Tommy John surgery. He did everything he could to try to power and pitch for the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, just to add, a lot of this is obvious, right, in terms of the toll it takes, whether you're a fan or a former player or a current player. Like, you know that injuries suck and they're a part of the game. I think for someone like Jacob DeGrom, I mean, I hate saying this, but he's decorated with injuries, and it's kind of plagued him definitely over the last few years. But there's a few things here. One is it is so incredible when we see a player go through injuries and I'm just going to throw Justin Verlander out there and then come back and excel. Right. That's another thing, you know, to add into the DeGrom mix. I mean, we're seeing the blurriness for lack of better term of Steven Strasburg's career and where that's kind of going. And I think you look at DeGrom in the Strasburg and Verlander mix and he's somewhere, he's somewhere in between, like, where's he going? You know, hopefully it doesn't, become the Strasbourg situation and becomes more like a Verlander. And then we see this from the human side where we say, look at these pitchers that are going to the hall of fame. Like there's probably five, maybe six or seven that could go to the hall of fame that we see right now that we saw over the course of their career. And DeGrom was headed that direction. So he certainly feels that burden. He's felt that over the course of his career with these injuries, but this one in a new environment, new team, new contract, has definitely, you know, made him a little more emotional. I think the other thing to look at, and this is maybe me being a little bit of a nerd, is this was a player who didn't pitch in college. Like, like, as we've seen from, you know, these upper, you know, level prospects, like he was a shortstop, right? So sometimes we see this wear and tear early on, maybe like a double A, triple A, and we look at that guy go, man, how are they going to rebound? How are they going to come back? We're seeing that at, at, Jacob DeGrom's, you know, mid-level, mid-career, right? Like, it's a, it's a scary part. As usual, I always think of, like, what these guys are thinking and what they're doing um, to keep their mental, you know, correct and how they're going to handle that. I think for DeGrom, he's going to have to harness some of those interests that he has off the field to stay positive and to, to go through this process. Nobody wants to go through a rehab situation, um, no matter what the inju- injury is, but I'm sure that when he – heard that it was this bad and he knew what it meant. That was one of the first things he thought about is I'm going to go through this rehab and this is what it's going to take a toll on me, but I'm going to go through it because I want to come back and be the best I can be. Yeah. I think you're spot on there. And what Jacob deGrom took Chris sale deep for his only college home run. So yeah, he's got some positives on the bat side too. Um, But I, I think like if you're the Rangers and you're Rangers fans, like you knew going into that signing that something like this was a possibility, right? But you look at the Rangers, even without DeGrom, they've been 41 and 25. They're three and a half games up. As we're recording this podcast, they'll drop next week. But um, three and a half games up on the Astros. So you you have to be happy as a Rangers fan with what your team's doing. You got guys like Evaldi and Andrew Heaney who are performing and kind of taking on that burden. So I think it's a good thing for Texas um, to be having this success because it probably lessens the blow a little bit of losing DeGrom. 
Um, yeah. And so they can kind of focus on that. Yeah, I was going to add to that. I think what we're realizing more, um, I don't know if it's just baseball um, becoming a different kind of game where it, where it, it has that more mentorship role. I think that uh, I was actually listening to this. I think it was another podcast where they were talking about basketball players and how basketball players used to come in like Charles Barkley came in. I know this mm-hmm. is totally not baseball, but came in and was talking about how uh, Moses Malone helped him and said, you're fat, you're out of shape. That's why you're not playing and helped him to not only just tell him the truth, but show up at this time, work out with me. We'll let, we'll get you to lose weight. You'll get in shape and you'll play. Or like that kind of mentorship may have been lost because of all this prospect hype where you want to get this guy to the majors. You don't really care and all that kind of stuff. You know, locally at, in Philly, we see this with Reese Hoskins. He got hurt in spring training and he actually wasn't in the dugout or traveling with the team at all because of all the surgery and the early rehab that he was doing. But now he's got the sleeve on his leg mm-hmm. and, you know, he's not super mobile, but he's in the dugout again. He has a, he has a beard now and he, he looks like a, a different kind of man. But an article just came out today talking about how he's the anchor for that team and that they lost his voice when he wasn't there, right? Like they needed him. So he may not be like the first person that people think of as the leader of that clubhouse, but he's taking on this role of positivity and a positive influence for the team. And I'm not going to say that that's the reason why they're winning. I think a lot of it has to do with the teams they're playing. But I do think that his presence in there serves a role that is needed, whether he's you know healthy or not. And I think for Jacob deGrom, I'm not saying that that's going to be his role moving forward. But like you just said, the Rangers are, are good and they have momentum and they're swinging in the right direction. So maybe that's the role that Jacob deGrom takes to keep him in a positive you know frame of mind moving forward. Yeah, and I think what you touch on right there, talking about mentorship and kind of serving, really touches on the theme of the interview that we had this week with Steven Souza Jr. Um, everybody might know him from his days with the Tampa Bay Rays, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Los Angeles Dodgers, a few other teams, um, just an electric outfielder defensively. Um, had, his, had his days that were really good with the bat, some days that weren't so great. Um, but in that entire interview, he talks about serving others. And I think that really helped shift his perspective when he was struggling on the field is that he still could find a way to give back to other people, whether it was his teammates or some people off the field. And I, I think it's huge um, that when he touches on kind of how he can serve in his community as well. And I think that's kind of touches on a bigger theme um, of players going back to their communities and serving in their communities and the impact that they can have. Because a lot of times we don't think about like, we see the big league major leaguers, the ones that have the 15, 20 year careers. And we're like, Oh, these guys are like the face of the game. But sometimes it's those guys, it's the minor leaguers who go back to their community every time and they're doing camps or they're doing lessons or they're trying to find a way to, um, have their voice heard and kind of help others in their community. And I think that was the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Um, there's something that stuck out for you. Yeah, there were a few things that stuck out. I, th- I think one of the things that was really interesting is we know um, Sousa was on several teams. And in many cases, he was always like that guy who was going to break out that given year. And the teams that he were, was on, he was, you know, traded a lot. It wasn't like yeah. he was released or, you know, DFA or whatever it was. He was traded a lot. And you get traded and you start to think, is there something wrong with that guy? Or did they give up on him and his potential? And now they're just going to be, yeah, you go here, maybe a change of scenery will help you. You never really know what it is as a fan on the outside, but getting to know him and really talking and hearing, you know, what his, 
I really think his journey and his path to getting to where he was and really to find that servant leadership that you're talking about. We're not going to tell the stories here, but like in the interview, you start to realize like that makes a lot of sense and, and really, you know, helped when he was going to a different organization, different team. He's like, I just lost those guys as, you know, teammates, but they're still my friends and I have to go find my place in this, you know, new team with new teammates. Um, that's, you know, something we don't talk that much about because, we just look at it as like, oh, a guy's on a different team. He'll excel there. He's just working, right? But they're going to all these different teams. They're traded for this name and that name, and they're traded with this name and that name, and they have to go there to kind of make their own, figure out what their role is, and then contribute. And like you said, he had some good good games and some bad ones. So it's like you have to go through that process. I, one of the things that stood out to me is um, how he valued, like, friendships up from yeah. his teams. I mean, I mean, his teammates. From, so, like, we talked about Bellinger, I think. You know, that that was an obvious one, but we didn't realize how close he was or how well he knew this person. Um, that was really cool because it showed the servant leadership in practice and like the proof of concept that he's actually like serving others and wants them to go through um, a more positive experience because of his experience. So I thought that was one of the things that really stuck out to me. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Um, just touching on that. And it kind of kind of rounds us into the last segment that we want to have called Round in the Bases. So we want to take that key theme that we had from that interview and really kind of touch on what's happening in the game currently that kind of reflects some of that. Um, and so like, when we look at serving on and off the field, one of the, the first examples I really thought of here on, on the field is that uh, we interviewed Ben Kudrita earlier on kind of as part of the prospects corner that we're going to have as well. And he talked about how guys like Vinny Pasquantino, Michael Massey, and these older prospect veterans would have morning coffees with the new prospects to really mentor them and kind of get them prepared for what they might be going through. And that kind of touches on a little bit of what you talked about, Stephen Souza Jr. and how he was trying to find ways to serve others. Like these players went through the experiences and you got these new guys who are coming to a new team. Um, even when you're drafted, you're still coming to a brand new team. You're not at your high school anymore. You're not at your college and really help them figure out how to make that transition to professional baseball and really help develop those relationships. So that's one of the on field, the field experiences that I could think of. Yeah. I mean, in terms of serving, I think serving is a very interesting word because you can do it in so many different ways. And, uh, for different demographics, audience, all that kind of stuff. I and mean, one of the things that stuck out to me was just kind of what the players Alliance have been doing, mm -hmm. but um, I would say, you know, more relevant to this time is they're doing this thing with equip the future. And it's like a summer tour. Um, I think I'm trying to think of the teams that they're going to nine different teams and they're really doing that to serve the next generation of players. So like you were saying, it's like, there's always these next gen of players, um, but how do you serve them? Um, based off of what their needs are and what the audiences that you're trying to actually serve are. So I think what they're doing is something that is not getting the spotlight that it once did. And I would say once meaning like when it started in around 2020. So I think three years later, they're still, you know, live and kicking. They're still really feeding that audience that needs um, to kind of be sprinkled into this, you know, the next gen of baseball players. So it'll be really cool. I think going into the MLB draft, we'll see um, some of their work in, in play. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's something that we've tried to do with this podcast, too. Always asking that last question to every guest to see how they what piece of advice they might have for that next generation. But uh, we don't want to waste your time anymore. I know you've heard enough of us probably talking. We want to get you into that interview with Stephen Souza Jr. So uh, here it is. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome to another awesome interview we have here today with an incredible guest. Uh, Steven Souza Jr. was a third rounder in the 2007 MLB draft, uh, played eight years, um, was in the 2021 playoffs with the Dodgers, but now has an awesome organization that he's co-owner of, of called Base by Pros, which we'll get into in a little bit. But uh, Steven, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, like I told you guys, I just dropped my daughter off from school, you know, and uh, doing the dad life thing right now. I'm just uh, <laughs> back it. home, parked out in front of a Starbucks with some good cell phone reception. So ready to go. Love it. Love it. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, you've had an incredible career in baseball, but just uh, for the viewers who don't know you, just give them a little bit of background on kind of how your journey went through professional baseball and how you've made this transition now to uh, a career outside of the game. Yeah. Um, you want me to start with my career? Is that what yeah. you're guessing? Yeah. So I, you know, I played um, nine seasons. I think one of them is not accounted for because I was basically hurt for a full year. Mm. Um, yeah. Played six years in the minor leagues and really grinded up. I mean, at some point, I think about my fourth year and I was like, it's probably not pretty likely I'm going to play in the big leagues anymore. Um, and just God had other plans uh, for where I was headed. So made it to the really struggled in the minor leagues out of high school, um, had kind of a life changing event happen, um, got my life together and then kind of took off, um, in the minor leagues. And within that moment, when I, um, came back in 2012, I was in the big leagues within a year and a half, basically, hmm. um, which is kind of wild, basically m- muddled my feet for like four years and then was like, yeah, I'll just go to the big leagues. <laughs> um, it doesn't work like that very often, if if not ever. So, and then played um, three years in Tampa, two years in Arizona, uh, one year in uh, Chicago, one year in LA, and then a couple months in uh, Seattle. So, and now I'm a dad uh, with a business that I own up here. Um, I have four cages that I'm a partial owner in. Um, they're baseball facilities, softball facilities that we rent uh, for teams, for instruction, um, spaced out around the Northwest. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing in my life now. I, I love that. I, to kind of talk about how that transition led to uh, creating Base by Pros. And I love the four principles that you have, mindset, skills, strength, and character. Um, kind of touch on those, how you developed that, and um, – how you kind of found that identity outside of the game. Yes, you're still kind of sticking with baseball because the organization is focused on baseball, but how did you kind of make that transition where you're like, okay, now I got to figure out what I want to do in life um, and then kind of develop this uh, four principles with the organization? Yeah, that's a good, good question. I think that ultimately um, I didn't have my identity as a baseball player. Um, I, my identity was bigger than that. And I, mm-hmm. I, you know, from my perspective and my experiences, uh, I just, one of the things why I came back and played baseball and what kind of changed my career, my perspective on life in general, and just, um, 
what what's the purpose, right? Like, what yeah. are we doing? Like, we only play this game for a couple years, so this can't be it, right? This can't be like I'm I'm here, I'm done. Um, and so I really took a deep dive into life and found myself getting caught um, into figuring out who this Jesus guy was. And the one thing I love about Jesus is its service. And so mm-hmm. I took that idea and did it as a teammate and served my teammates and did the best I could serve my coaches. And then transitioning out of baseball was like, well, how do I serve my community mm. now? Um, and so it was kind of an easier transition because my what dr- drives me in life was just like, hey, this is now your platform now, which is just in the Northwest. Right before it was global, national, whatever way, different cities around the world um, with different communities, kids all over. Right. It was a bigger platform. But just because it's a smaller platform doesn't mean the impact isn't as, as important. If that makes sense. And I think if we could all out of the game realize that we have this uh, gravitational pull to us from our own communities and we took that seriously, mm-hmm. we could change as baseball players and athletes, we could change the communities around us. Um, and so that's what I really wanted to do is get with my partner, Brent Lillibridge, who basically set the groundwork um, at Base by Pros and hop on board um, and just try and serve the community the best I could. Man, I, I just love that perspective because it's like you just talked about um, taking the platform that you have and really using that even after a post-baseball career to really just give back to your community. I think that's just beautiful. And I'm sure Caleb's got a ton of questions he wants to dive into. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the way you approach it and kind of articulate your identity um, is really interesting. And it's really like, I don't want to say a mature way, but a sophisticated you know, perspective on who you are as a baseball player, right? My question to you, um, and I'm going to add more layers to this after you answer it, is more when did, when did you embrace that? When did, when did you really feel like that's, you know, the sense of who you were? Yeah, so in 2011, I had a massive, like, almost identity check. Like, I just stunk at baseball. Like, I'd have these moments. I was player of the week in high A. I was player of the week. I was an all-star in low A. Like, but just over as my life, as a whole was just unsettling. There was zero peace in my life. Um, and I watched kind of the people around me, kind of what you guys were talking about, uh, Caleb, when you were talking about how you started um, the journey that you're on, mm-hmm. that I was caught in that. I was playing video games. I was trying to live the <laughs> life. Like I, I was just a high school kid trying to figure out who he was. And the only thing, the only identity I could really grab a hold of in my earlier life was baseball. Like people followed me based on my success in baseball. And that gave me a sense of purpose. Well, that's a very, that's a very wobbly uh, foundation, right? That's a, that's a house that's built on sand. And right. as soon as the storm comes, that's wiping away. And that's exactly what happened. And so I got ejected uh, or not ejected. My, my manager told me to go home in a game in, in high A is the last game of the year playoffs. And it rocked my world, right? Like I had built up this moment and I was hitting 225, but I felt like I I, I deserved to play, right? So it was like this false reality that I was in. Um, And then when I came home and I had quit and nobody really knew me as Steven, the baseball player anymore. It was just, hey, you're just some guy on the street that used to try to play baseball. I had to really take a look at like, well, this can't be it, right? And that's what I kind of alluded to is Mm. – there, there's more to life. And so that off season, my business partner, now Brent Lillibridge kind of took me under his wing and he'd already been doing that, but really, uh, I took a deep dive into, uh, multiple things. It wasn't just Christianity. It was, 
Buddhism. I tried Buddhism. I tried Catholicism. Like I tried all these different mm. things, self-help books, and none of them worked. And so they just kind of uh, filled me up for a little bit, and then I was gone. And so this Jesus, this Jesus guy, and how he just basically changed the idea of like it's not about you, it's about other people. I for some reason in my mind, it hit me hard that I was so consumed with myself that once I could get out of myself and look at the people around me and see, that's when I really took it to heart. And so what's actually funny is I went, when I went back to play is I didn't think I was going to make it out of spring training, to be quite honest with you. I mm-hmm. thought they, they were fed up with me. I stunk. Like, why would you keep me? You know? And um, all I wanted to do was serve. And I just wanted to apologize to people and serve and um, when that kind of happened, something happened within me where it was like, it was an appreciation for the game. It was appreciation for what was around me. And I tried to take that into wherever I went. I didn't have any expectations on where I was going from there. Um, and in turn, you know, leaving the game, I just, Lord, wherever you're sending me, I just want to serve. That could be in Uganda. That could be in my backyard with my neighbors. That could be in a huge platform where I have 10 cages running whatever it is whatever you're asking me to do i just want to do it to the best little or big yeah so i I have a plethora of questions here they come (laughs) um so one thing that's really interesting is what you're talking about is the the understanding that you as an athlete is actually like a person like we talk about humanizing the athlete you know the shut up and dribble thing getting away from that we always hear that that stuff but the psychologist part of it which i'm not is really your sense of self right Social media world would call that the authentic self, harness your authentic self, all that kind of well, what does that actually mean? And it seems yeah. like you let you let go of this I'm an athlete, I'm a baseball player identity, and then let come, right? Mm. Like just and that's the serving, right? So I i I could send you a link, but there's this thing called Theory You where they have this actually you and you're at the bottom of the you coming up on the swing. That's exactly what you're talking about. So it's really interesting. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about is when you talk about serving which is, you know, very interesting. And it's a very um, good way to look at uh, being on a team. Um, the other thing I wanted to just kind of throw in there is if you're serving others and you're playing on a team with others and then you get traded and you've gotten mm-hmm. traded a few times, right? You've been part of some big name trades, a lot of players in the trade. How do you yeah. then go into a different clubhouse, a different team, a different culture, mm-hmm. a different climate, and then serve those people? Yeah, that's a a great question. I I think initially when I was traded from Washington to Tampa, it was I had such good mentors in Washington. Uh, it was a very old team. Like I shouldn't say old. It was just a very veteran team. Guys, a lot of years, a lot of clout. It was me, basically Rendon and Harper, with not that many years, and that was it. Right, Michael Taylor, I think, was there. Um, but I had to learn how to really serve. And they, those guys showed me I had good models. So when I got traded, I just carried that model over, mm-hmm. right? And it was more of like, okay, this is now, these guys are a lot younger. They're in Tampa. They're about the same age as me. There's not many older guys. And so now I can kind of come alongside and use what I've done, what I've learned over here, um, and just put it into place. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't wavering. I wasn't changing who I was because I trusted um, that my identity was set right? Like I knew who I was. So no matter what trade at that point or where I was, I wanted to just carry that out. Right. But what really happened, what was really crazy is getting traded from Tampa to Arizona. That was probably the harder part 
because now I, now I had had some success in the big leagues. And so there was a little bit of me to self-protect that wanted to self-protect and make sure that I could keep getting that success because I enjoyed that success. Um, and then you're going into a clubhouse where those guys are successful. So it's kind of this different, um, this different dichotomy, if you will, where it's like now I'm wrestling with I need to serve on the field, but I need to be successful because we're trying to win a championship, but I still need to serve. But if I serve too much, I don't want them to think that I'm not carrying out my duties on the field. So I'm wrestling with this every day, you know, because these guys don't know me apart from Adam. And so that was a very, that was a tough um, transition to Arizona, even though, which is really crazy, some of the most phenomenal people on that team in Arizona. So it was just more of my own insecurities coming out and um, trying to protect them. And I acted out a lot of fear instead of just saying like, no, 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 like, God put me here. Now I was here and now I'm just in this, this different realm. And I kind of, um, I didn't handle that, that one the best. Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And the other thing with identity is it's ever evolving, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. So like you have that moment where you go from baseball player to person, person who will serve, and then you get traded. You have that. And then you're serving there. You have to also succeed. But there's other things going on. You become a husband, right? You become a father at those points. Those are parts of your identity as well. Um, so it's this process where you're probably serving people at home or they're serving you. And then when you go home in the offseason, you have to serve them because you're catching up on lost time. And then you're serving your teammates and then you get traded and you're serving those guys. But like you said, you have to succeed. So that ever-evolving identity, I mean, you're still in that boat now. How would you classify and really, I guess, you know, define what your identity is? Right now? Yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would still say I'm, I'm a big server, right? Like, that's, that's my heart. Um, a service for the, the unheard, the broken, uh, the lost. Like, that's kind of my heart is um, up here. What really drives me is not the fact, and I, and I feel like I could do this. I could work with the best players in Washington State and help them reach the highest level um, as far as hitting with the experiences I've had. That's just not my identity, and that's not my heart. I tried doing that for a little bit, um, but I don't need that. I want the kids that are cast aside mm. and that are overlooked on the teams or someone said, you're not going to make it. Like, let me help them, right? Let let me give them some joy, whether the expectations are, hey, I just want you just to enjoy your high school year, yeah. you know, or whether that's I, just, I want you to play in college. You want to play in college, let me help you do that. Whatever mm. it is, your 14U team, like – you can so your parents can enjoy the game together where you understand it. That's my heart, right? That's kind of where I love because I I genuinely did love this game and I still do love this game. But playing it was one of the best joys for for me. So, um, yeah, I, my identity is more now. When I was playing, it was just genuinely serve those who were brought to me, and now I can I can kind of reach out on who I want to serve, and so mine is the lost and the broken. There's so much power in that. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. I, the one thing that I, the, the, the common theme that I love that you kind of touched on across everything, every transition that you've been through is like talking about this foundation, right? Having that foundation, like you talked about when you came out of high school, it was like sand was your foundation. It was just getting swept yeah. away. And I have to imagine like for a lot of high school kids who are transitioning to the pro balls, trying to figure out how to be an adult at the same time as trying to make it in professional baseball has to be a lot for like your brain to comprehend. And so I kind of touch on that foundation part, because I think that's the thing that's missing for a lot of people when they're trying to find their identity is that foundation to go back to, because 
as things change, as things transition, the one thing you have is that foundation. So like if you go and get traded to a different team, you still have that foundation you can kind of mm. go back to. Um, so kind of touch on that and how that's kind of a valuable resource to, to younger guys. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. And I think you'll, you don't see this as much with guys out of college because they kind of figure out mm. like, uh, maybe not their exact identity, but they they're a little bit more mature on how to be an adult because you're forced yeah. to college, right? Like you have to be up at 5 a.m. You got your weights. You've got somebody to respond to at a higher level, and then you're accountable for your performance. So it's a much smaller scale on a professional mm-hmm. level, but the tools are being given to you. As when you come out of high school, you're basically given this freedom to do whatever you want, make it to the big leagues, and then you're just expected to mature. Right. Yeah. Like nobody's really <laughs> this. You're just expected to mature. And, and so, you're doing it with men, like grown ass men. hundred <laughs> percent. Like, I'll never forget, like my first year, my first full season, I made it out of, I got sent to extended and then I made it out to, to low eight within like a couple weeks. And my roommates were Jeff Mandel and Eric Arneson and then Jake Smolenski. And Jake, Jake and I were drafted the same year. So we went through the same experience, but. My roommate was 25, and I'm 18 years old, right? <laughs> Interacted with a 25-year-old in my life. He's got a wife and a kid. And I'm like, and I'm living in the apartment with them in a closet, right? Like, there's no room for me, but I'm sleeping in the closet. Um, they were phenomenal people, by the way. But you get into the locker room, and there's these 26, 27-year-olds. They've got kids. They've got wives, you know. They're drinking. You can't drink. It's like it's a weird experience to go through that. You're just kind of thrown into the fire. And unless you do, unless you're a very mature, focused 18 year old, which let's be realistic, there's not many of them out there, then you're susceptible to a lot of temptations that can distract you. Um, And so what you feel like even might be a solid foundation, it's going to be put to the test real quick. And so if it's not a real foundation, and it's not something that can hold that mm-hmm. kind of weight. It's going to crumble left and right, no matter what comes at you. And so I'm thankful that eventually it took me long enough that I figured out, like, I got to get something that I can go to that I know no matter what circumstances that I can trust. Um, and that was in my faith. And to be able to do that, um, I, I, I don't really think that I know that my faith wasn't the reason. Like, oh, I started to believe and now I, I under like I played the game at a high level. It was more of just like I can handle these things that come at me mm-hmm. at a much more mature uh level. Yeah. I think the other thing that you kind of touch on too is like when you build a foundation, even on like a, a normal home, you're going to have to have repairs. Like it's okay to have moments where you get away from your foundation or something happens, something slips up. And like, you learn that as an adult and that, okay, mistakes are going to happen. But mm-hmm. as long as you can repair that foundation, like you're in a good spot. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt. And there are definitely moments like where there was some damage to the foundation where I had mm-hmm. to like take a step back and be like, where are you going? Like, yeah. what, what did you, what were you in this for in the beginning? And what are you trying to accomplish? And I, I thank God that I had a lot of really good people, a lot of really good men around me to be like, you're, you're, you're going off in the wrong direction. You need to come yeah. back. Right? And so I think that is super important. And so what, what you're saying, Jared, about the human element and how we've forgotten, if like the numbers that I did on the field, sometimes I don't even know how I did those things. But I, I do know that if it wasn't for the people around me to keep my mind and my heart and my emotions in check in the right place, none of those numbers would have happened, right? So 
um, there has to be better programs. And I think MLB is catching up slowly to be able to have the right people around to pour into these kids because they have no idea what's coming. And they think they do, right? As an 18 year old, you're like, I got it all figured out. Ronald Acuna, those, <laughs> they think they got it all figured out because they're so good, right? But the reality is, is that there's so much more to learn and so, uh, such a better way to handle all these things. Yeah, I want to I want to jump in on there because it's a, it's funny. Like this this is a part of my research, but it was definitely more heavy on the transition side, like after. But one of the questions that we you know kind of honed in on, which is applicable here, which is coping strategies like players need coping strategies and sometimes that has like a negative connotation because there's healthy and unhealthy coping strategies right but being grounded in faith is one and i think the other thing is is that that those questions that you walk through in your why am i here why did i want to do this in the first place that's a coping strategy right Mm -hmm. because all it does is it keeps you back to you know what your vision was what the Mm -hmm. keeping the main thing the main thing as people say and I think yeah. that's a good point about that. I think the other thing you mentioned, which is like having to be adaptive and like go get thrown into, whether it's an apartment with three grown men, um, and then you look at the players now who think they have it all figured out. There's a lot of layers there to, you know, break down, which is number one, I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the the uh, father-son. So like the Bo Bichettes, and I'm not saying these guys in particular, the Vlads, um, Tatis, we're seeing a lot of, because their dads were probably like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. We'll prepare you for this. So mm-hmm. like that we know everything is really coming from here are the cliff notes. Here are the here, here's how you take the test. Here's how you go into it. And they're like, yeah, I'm ready for it. And if somebody mm-hmm. would have told you, you'd have been like, yeah, maybe that happened for that guy, but not 18 year old me. So mm-hmm. like when you hear from your dad, it's a little different, especially when you may have actually experienced that as like a four to 10 year old. Like if you see you know, Dante Bichette is taking you there and you see the, these players and Kayvon Biggio is there and like you're going through all this stuff. When you're seeing it, that's reality. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a, another thing of like why we're seeing these guys because if it, it is so hard to make it and maybe they're not these uber prospects when they get drafted or signed, but they make it through because they were kind of given the tutorials ahead of time. That's No, I, I thought about that, Caleb, like so much about the father-son thing and to be able to have because you're always looking for the answers in the minor leagues, right? Like, how can I move past this level? Which is really weird. It's this game where you're like, if I just get past these levels, I can get to the ultimate level, right? Which is, you know, you play these video games when you're young, and it's the same thing. It's in the minor yeah. leagues in real life. <laughs> so to have to have someone like your father who has seen you, you know, since you were young, and you can really trust to give you these answers – to be able to hand and, and, and give you the, the proper perspective, like, hey, son, like, like yeah, you're 0 for 20, but everybody goes through that. Like, mm. it's it, there's nobody that's changed anything on you. All you got to do is just keep going forward, right? Or something small like that. Or, hey, when you get to this level, this is what you got to expect, right? Or, listen, when, when a veteran comes at you and does this, this is how you handle that. And then that way it doesn't blow up, right? Because all those little things, when they add up together, they drive players crazy right? And they distract them from what they're actually trying to do. And so to have a father like that, like you're saying, to be able to cope in the right way and understand the magnitude of what's really going on, that's invaluable, in my opinion. Yeah, I look at a guy like Cody Bellinger, for example, and I don't know Cody personally at all, but like his dad played Cody's, you know, I want to say he started 20, maybe 21, but his first few years, I mean, he went rookie of the year, crushed home runs, 
did he win an MVP or almost won an MVP or a World Series? Right. And yeah, so like you have all this success at 25. You're like, like your ticket is almost punched to the Hall of Fame. And then you get hurt. And then all this stuff goes downhill. And your team is still competing, but you're not the guy anymore. You're batting eighth or ninth, actually, probably with the DH now. How do you cope with that? And honestly, I'm not saying this about Cody as a person, but it doesn't look like it affects him. And that's a good thing, right? Like, because he knows the ebbs and flows, he knows the peaks and valleys, and he knows that it's, you know, going to Chicago might actually be good for his career. So he looks like he's he's adapting to that in a healthy way. It's just we as fans always look at that and be like, oh, you don't care. You know, your your heart's not in it. You don't you're you know you know checked out. But really, I think he he's he's playing the game like you're saying. Yeah, and I love Belly. Like Belly's one of my guys. When we were on LA, we hung out, um, and I would 100% agree with you. Belly's personality. What people loved about Belly when he was successful is the same Belly when he was. I agree. Yeah. Right, like he kept everything in perspective. Nothing was too big for Belly. Belly cares, like he cares about what he does. Like I can tell you that to a T. Like he may not show it, you know, just because nothing's really too big for Belly in the moment, which is what has made him so great. <laughs> I agree. It's overrung or over emotional, but he cares, right? And a lot of, I would say ninety, ninety-eight percent of players they care on that field, like. It's just you have all these upbringings and personalities that sh- that show it in completely different ways. So um, being able to handle those things uh, and not listen to the way that everybody's expecting you to handle things, that's the biggest challenge, I think. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. And everybody in the world says, you know, on, especially on Twitter now because it's super accessible, <laughs> right? You should be feeling this way. You should do this. <laughs> you should do this, right? And so you have to be able to go to keep it in perspective and be like, those are your expectations, right? And I know what's actually the reality of how to handle the situation. And that, back to your point, Caleb, is where you have a dad that says, like, that doesn't matter. Remind you that, you know, yeah. um, is huge. Yeah. Man, I mean, this this whole interview is incredible. I feel like we could go for like two hours here, but we're going to kind of wrap up into the final question that we usually ask uh, every guest. Um, so for us, like we started Beyond Baseball because we want to show the human side of the players um, behind the numbers and the performance on the field, but we also wanted to provide a resource, and you've touched on a lot of this already, but uh, to future athletes. So if you had that like one piece of advice for a player trying to find his identity, a young age, out of high school, going right into the pros, uh, what would that one piece of advice be? Yeah, the one mistake, I'll say it this way, the one mistake I see um, high school athletes and even college athletes at time is operating out of fear. Uh, mm. There's just a commonality with every kid, and it, it shows in a bunch of different ways, right? It doesn't all show the same. But I would say come in whenever you're in, wherever you go, come in with a learning mind, right, with an ability to say, hey, I don't have all the answers but I'm willing to seek and trust people around me to be able to help those answers because not everybody's blessed with a Dante Bichette or a Matt Holiday as a dad, right? Yeah. But there are plenty of really good men that can help you. It's just that as an 18-year-old, you're scared to lose what you've had, and so you're unwilling to say, hey, listen, I, I can't control to an certain extent me making the big leagues, but I can learn as much as I can from the people who have experienced a lot to help me get there. And that was to me is such a huge missing piece piece in today's culture is kids are like, there's so much access to knowledge that there's like, I know what I need to do. 
I don't need you to tell me what to do and I'll get there. And then before they know it, they're failed out of the game and without a job and no idea where to go. Right. So learning from anyone, it could be a front office guy. It could be an analytics guy, right? It could be someone who played in the big leagues for 20 years. Every single one of those people have something to offer. You don't have to take on everything they say, but learning from what they're saying makes you a better ball player and a better human because at the end of the day, you're only playing this game for a little bit. And that transition, I learned so much from all these different people, from the marketing department, from yeah. aesthetics people, from our, the clubbies. Like, <laughs> they all have something to offer and they have value in life. And you can learn something from them. And I think if you can take that perspective more often, the game, your life, and everything will be so much better. I have a yeah. quick follow up on that. I think that's amazing advice. Like, honestly, one of the best pieces of advice I think yeah. we've ever heard. Easily. Um, but one of the things, so operating in fear or just even, you know, going with a fear, right? It, it adds the stressor, right? I'm not going to say it adds stress, but it adds a stressor. And that makes you have to now operate and function and perform under a stress, which hmm. takes away the fun a lot of times and also sometimes re- removes you from the game. Like I've talked to a lot of parents who have young kids who are like, oh, I don't want my kid to play this anymore because I play professional basketball. And mm. now they're saying like, oh, I have to beat this team. I have to keep practicing. It's adding stress to them. Like they're choosing that because they're operating out of, I have to beat this team. I have to be as good as my dad, right? It's not that. And if you pluck them out of that sport and put them into esports, for example, right? They're still going to be some kind of stress if they operate in fear. So it's mm. that. And then, and then this goes back to the coping strategies, right? So what coping strategies do you build so that they know hey, I feel myself operating in fear. What do I do now, right? And how do you go about that versus you, you can't continue to operate like this because it's adding stressors to your life? Oh, yeah. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like one thing I do with my own son, um, you know, my son is he's six years old. So like, let's take it with a grain of salt, but he's pretty good out there, right? And I'm very aware of the expectations that are placed upon him, Um whether anybody puts him on him, which is probably not as less likely as him putting on himself. Mm. Right. And so I'm super aware of that. And whatever I do, I try to make it a fun learning environment, right? This is just a game. Like yeah. and everything is bigger. So everything is just always bigger than the game. And that's what I try mm-hmm. and teach. Um, and the fear will come from what your expectations are of yourself. Right. Yes. So, I think that you're, you're nailing it is when we operate out of fear, it'll pour into our game. It'll pour into the way we treat people. It'll pour into the way we treat our wife because we're scared of losing something. We're scared of losing who we are. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of nobody will be around us. We're afraid nobody can hear us. Whatever that is, there's fear that drives us. And I don't care what athlete it is, whether it's LeBron James or it's the 26th man on the worst team in baseball. Like, both of them have fear and they operate. Now, the way they handle it is completely different, maybe. Yeah. And I think that when you're aware of that fear and you can speak the truth and what's going on in your life and write it down, put it out there. What am I afraid of? Why am I afraid of this? When did this first start? And address it. Man, the power's in your hands. 
Yeah, uh, man, I love that. Amazing. This whole entire interview is just like a full-on resource for anybody who's going to try to make it into the next uh, next stages in professional baseball or whatever. And Stephen, we can't thank you enough for joining us. I mean, this has been one of the most incredible interviews that we've done. Um, and we'll definitely make sure to to plug Base by Pros. Everybody, if you're in the Linwood, Washington area, be sure to check them out. Um, but yeah, we're just wishing you nothing but success here. Hey, I appreciate it. It was easy to talk to you guys. So thanks for pulling the good questions out of me.